sweet. Okay, well, I'm already recording us just so that you're loosened up a little bit, which is all good. So um, we'll cool. I'll cut that out, but I'll go right into it. Uh, welcome to Beer Life. My name is Jordan Foss, and with me today is Samantha Lindemann. Did I say that right? Lindemann? Lindemann? Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, from Wild Eye Brewing Company in North Vancouver. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. So what's the deal with North Van? Every time I go there, uh, it seems like there are more and more people there. All my friends are wanting to move there. They're ditching New Westminster and moving to North Van. And oh, no. um, yeah, I know, which is infuriating. Um, so what's it? You, you grew up on the North Shore. What's the deal with, with the North Shore and why everybody's moving there? Oh, I mean, it's such a beautiful place to be. And I grew up here. It was nothing like it is today. There was hardly any restaurants. Um, no, not a huge community. It's kind of come recently where you see a lot of younger people moving here. Um and staying. I mean, there was a, I had a lot of friends that I went to high school with that all took off. They moved downtown or left the country, and I see them all trickling back now. And I mean, you have the mountains and the sea here, and I think people just really love that. And there's so much. There's access to everything around here too. Yeah, and of course, a ton of breweries, so that's great. Yeah, well, I and mean, I think you know that also. I mean, I know it helps. I remember when um, when we first opened, um, a lot of the developers would would try and use us as a selling feature to get young people or quote unquote young people um, to move to the area. And uh, so I imagine that's happening a ton of North Van as you see all the, d- the development that's going on. Um, and uh, and like you said, just the amount of, of breweries or restaurants that are opening up. Um, do you find that, you know, since the pandemic has hit that, that you are like Wild Eye itself is, is fairly local focused or are you still, I would imagine that before COVID, you'd get quite a few people coming over from, you know, whether it's downtown or the Burbs uh, to check out uh, Wild Eye and all the other North Van breweries. So has that changed or is it um, you still getting lots of people in from elsewhere? I mean, I see a lot of regulars at the beginning. We're still quite a new brewery. We're only 18 months in. Um, and you see a lot of people just checking out for the first time. Um, but when I walk into the place now, I, I know most of the people in there, which is so great to see. And, you know, it's nice to go walk into the place, you know, everyone's name. Um, but I still see people coming in, even though I guess they're not really supposed to at this time. But you kind of ask questions, where are you from? And, you know, let's say they're from, you know, Surrey or wherever. And it's just, yeah, it's nice to, to have that. And with all the, the breweries around here, too, I think people make it a, a day. Um, you know, back in the day when there was only a couple, it was kind of hard to, you know, cross the bridge just for a few. But now that there's it's quite a few of us, I think we see a lot of people from all over the place. Do you find that like, and normally I do a much better intro and talk about how you got into beer, but uh, we'll do that in a sec. Are you um, just based on where you're located? And I know where like house of funk and beer and all those other folks are located. Do you find that when people come over, is it difficult for them to, to access each by transit? Like, are they, is it, do you find that most people are having a DD or driving and then they're just kind of like hopping from one to the other or, or is there an easier way? Is there an easy way to access um, your place from, from, you know, the, those other places that are up in, um, what would you call that area where house of funk and beer and all those folks are? I call it up the road, up the road <laughs> from up the road. They call it, they can call it the brewery district up there. Yeah. Um, and we're just our, our own little area, but a lot of people bike in the neighborhood okay. in the summer. We actually had to bring in a couple new bike racks because it was just getting out of control um so we have the mountain bikers uh and the cyclists um coming um so i think they all they all bike around and we also got a new beeline it goes directly past us oh that's um, good yeah so it's its own lane now so it's actually great for that okay sweet Uh, i didn't know that that's awesome Mm -hmm. um okay so sorry go ahead Oh, I was going to say it was a nightmare for a while because the roads were shut down, but... <laughs> oh, right. I bet. Yeah, of course. It's good Prob- now. Probably right yeah. when you first opened, too, when you needed it to be uh, all uh, a clusterfuck in front of the brewery, right? Yeah. It was interesting for a while, but it's good now. Good, good. Okay, so um, I'm going to go back. Tell me how you got into beer. Oh, geez. So I was actually in the wine industry um, before this. Um, I thought that was going to be my focus forever, actually, is... I grew up in the wine industry. My grandfather, he was a wine rep, and I just learned everything I knew from him. Um, and I was big into wine, not so big into beer at the time, because back then there wasn't a lot of options, and all my friends, all they drank was just that warm crap sitting on the, on the shelf at the BC liquor stores, and I just wasn't into it. And 
it wasn't until I actually moved to Australia and started working for a winery um, where I came across some craft breweries and we didn't really, this is 2011. So there really wasn't much like P49 storm. There's, and then like, of course, all the bigger guys. Um, But it wasn't really something we did on weekends. There's no brewery hopping. So when I moved to Australia, there was a bit of that going on actually um, in the McLaren Vale. And I came across this craft brewery who wasn't even really that interested in it. Um, But a friend put down a pale ale in front of me and I couldn't believe it because it had aromas and flavors and texture and depth, um, much like a wine did. And from that moment on, I got really into it and started studying. And whenever I had a chance to go traveling for work, I would actually try and source out breweries in whatever country I was in. Um, So with that, I kept kind of learning about it and built a business plan in my head for quite a long time and was kind of self-conscious of actually, you know, asking friends and family if they thought it was a good idea because I was young. I was 25 when I started this. Um, so it was kind of, it was quite a daunting task and I wanted to make sure I had my ducks in a row and I wasn't, you know, going to mess this up. So it took a while, which was great because it gave me the time to, you know, start asking the questions you need to ask. You know, I, we contacted Cody and Clay from Twin Sales and a bunch of other guys asking, you know, what, what they would do differently and what they see in the market. And it wasn't until I found the location where I knew it was going to be special. Um, I wanted a place built for growth. And I mean, Wild Eye is 13,000 square feet. So it was oh, wow. quite a daunting task. And I wanted to, yeah, exactly. So I was like, okay, I got to make sure I don't mess those up. So um, after I found that, I spent some more time researching, putting the business plan together, and then the rest is history. We We opened and and now, and here you are yeah. now halfway in a pandemic, <laughs> trying to figure it out again. Um, so 13,000 square feet is, is big. Um, mm-hmm. and it's funny cause most of the people I talk to or most of the people that reach out that are trying to start breeze up now, uh, they go small, uh, tasting room focused, but you're obviously, I know that you have a, a, you know, taste room and a food program, but you're obviously built for distribution. Um, was that always part of the plan or was that just something that kind of happened based on the location? No, that was always my plan. And it's kind of it's a funny debate because, like you said, a lot of breweries that open, um, they're more tasting room focused. Um, we are very tasting room focused. I wanted to make sure that was really important to us. But um, with my sales background, I knew I could grow it into something big. Or I hope I can. Um, and it's obviously it's it's going to be take a long time to get to that. But and there was opportunities up the road. I could have been, you know, you know, next to. Um, House of Funk and North Point and Beer and all those guys, but I needed the space and there wasn't much available up in the city. Um, so yeah, with that, I just I I wanted to make sure we could you know keep pumping out really cool stuff, and I wanted to have the space to do that. And yeah, so, uh, yeah. Well, no, I think, and I mean, part of the reason why I asked you to be on the program is um, I think if I follow you on Instagram and I noticed that you definitely were out hustling like a sales rep like, like you had a rep background. So that makes a ton of sense. And, um, and, and so even when the pandemic started, um, I think a lot of established breweries, uh, probably took a, a little bit of a backseat to going out there and trying to get, uh, beer on tap or beer on shelf. Uh, you know, everybody kind of held tight and then it seemed like you were actually being pretty aggressive with it, which was fairly you know impressive. It was like a, in my mind, and, and I could be interpreting it wrong but it just seemed like you were hopping on a pretty good opportunity where most people are sitting silent and uh you were getting out there trying to get the the beer out to as many hands as possible um well you know those businesses restaurants pubs liquor stores might have not seen you know a a rep or a brewery owner's face in a while so um Mm -hmm. was that just is that was that by design or is it just your makeup to get out there and and just basically hustle and sell all the time yeah, I mean, it was definitely by design. I also I can't sit still; it's an issue I have. So, Fair enough. if I'm not doing something, it's a nightmare. <laughs> um, but I did notice right away. I was, I wasn't, I wasn't knocking on doors per se, but I was definitely trying to support the restaurant as much as I could. Um, even you know, I'm not saying you know, here's a here's my new pale ale. Try it. I would go in and you know, have a dinner, have a lunch, and shoot the shit with them. And I think that went that was appreciated um 
but we also we were very restaurant focused at the beginning yeah. i mean everyone knows like all your margin is in the tap room yeah. um but and if you don't own your canning line kind of kegs are the next best thing um so that was my huge focus uh, and that's my background was all in the restaurant so it was definitely a an interesting pivot to start knocking on a lot of more doors of you know liquor stores trying to get that going so i think that might have been a bit of a surprise to people. <laughs> hey, look at us, you know. Yeah. But it was it was nice because it, everyone was so supportive during that time. So. Well, they're probably it was just okay. probably just happy to see a friendly face getting out there to um you know to try and support right. I think I tried mm-hmm. your your beer is actually one of the you know what it's actually I think one of the only beers I've had um like out somewhere during the pandemic uh, just because I have a couple little kids at home. So I'm rarely like I go to work and then I go home and then I go to work mm-hmm. and then I go home. So I, I don't get out a ton, but I was at um, local in Gastown. Oh yeah. Yeah. And uh, with, with Adam Henderson uh, from Superflux, and they had your beer on tap. And, uh, and so I had it there and, um, and you know what? The patio was packed. So I'm sure a lot of people yeah. were drinking, which is great. Um, so you've got this 13,000 square foot space. How big is the brew house? How full is that 13,000 square foot? Um, what are the kind of the next steps for you as far as, as this growth plan, I guess? Yeah. Um, there's definitely a lot of room in there. Anyone that go walks in, they're always shocked about the space I have. Um, but we have a 25 heck brew house and eight fermenter 50 heck fermenters and three brights oh, wow. uh, also 50 heck um and four are very new we just brought them in in december sweet um but yeah and we just started a barrel program too so that's taken up a lot of room as well cool and do you, we're do gonna you, keep going do you guys use vessel for pat or uh, i shouldn't say vessel i should say vessel because they sponsor the show do you guys oh, use yeah. vessel for <laughs> do you guys use vessel for packaging or uh, or mobile canning uh, we actually, there's another company, a newer one that um, they actually rent space from us in the back. So oh, we have a little bit of a, a relationship with them. And they're um, trying to, are they trying to get out there or are they keeping it small? Feel free to plug them if you want. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, yes, we can, can. And oh. they're fairly new, but they've got a, a brand new cask system. Cool. Uh, runs really smoothly. And yeah, I think they've got, they've got a, a lot of us on the North Shore and he does house sound. Oh, right on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. I'd never heard before. So that's, that's great. Um, now, if is 13,000 square feet seem like the perfect amount to you, or if you had an opportunity, would you do it a little bit less or a little bit more? Like I would imagine it's a bit daunting to think about filling up all that space or is it, you know, I know you obviously, you said you talked to Cody and Clay and they are obviously twin sales. They're very, you know, wholesale, um, there's wholesale focused and obviously growing fast. So they'd probably say get as much space as possible. Um, mm-hmm. Is it, you know, when, when you were looking in your mind, did you have an ideal square footage? Yeah, I think 10,000 would have been the sweet spot for yeah. us. Um, I mean, we're not that much more, but, you know, that is rent that, yeah. <laughs> that we're not using. Um, but, I mean, it's, I think one day I'll be happy. And when, yeah. you know, we have the whole place filled and the back is pretty empty right now, but we want to obviously one day own our own canning line and all that. And so I think it'll be hopefully worth it in the long run. Yeah. Check off all the items on the list to make you a little bit more efficient and more, uh, have a bit more profit. Right. So it's hard. It's hard. We don't, I mean, we still don't can our own beer. Um, and I keep putting it off the list. I want, I, we should buy a canning line. We've been around for a while. (laughs) Um, but we're even going to try and put it off for another year and, and get a silo to try and make our brewers backs a little bit easier. So there's, um, you know, it's, it's a funny industry that way where all the you know, all the items you need are pretty big ticket items in order to, uh, to get better margins. So it's, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you everything know, is so expensive. It is. Industry. When I think of, I might probably said this on another podcast before, but like it, the industry, um, makes you think about what's, what's expensive, what's cheap in a different form than your own personal life. So like at the brewery, if it's under five grand, I'm like, Oh yeah, it seems cheap. Let's do that. But like, if my wife Alyssa was like, we should buy this, it's five grand. I'd be like, it's fucking stupid. We shouldn't buy that. It's expensive. Right. And, yeah. and so it's just like you get a little skewed on what actually costs, what a, what a lot of money is and what, uh, 
And, and it's not because we're all making buckets of money. It's just the revenue is high, but so are the expenses, right? And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's wild. Um, I never, I don't actually think I appreciated it until a couple of years ago. Um, because at the beginning, you know, we kind of just bootstrapped this together and we were probably just too naive to realize what was expensive and what wasn't. So, um, when you, when you got the location, how long did it take from, from signing your name on the lease to opening the doors? Oh, it was ridiculous. Um, two years. Oh, well, yeah, that's a long time. Yeah. Um, a lot to do with the district. Yeah. It was difficult for sure. Can you explain Um, the the difference between, because North Van, there's the city and the district, right? Is that right? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So, which is annoying in itself. So the district is—is yeah, is it, it a different? Is it is. It's a different council. A different like. Is it? How does it? How does oh, it yeah. work? Yeah. So it's a different community altogether, basically, right? Yeah, different mayor, everything. And where does the district start and go to? And where does the city start and go to? Oh, wait, that's another thing. It's so random because it's not kind of split in half. The district kind of runs along this kind of like the south side. And then shoots up, and then the city is kind of its own little block in the corner. It doesn't actually make much sense, but are, how they've structured it. Are all the other the quote unquote brewery district, the house sounds or the um, house of funks of the world? Are they in the district or are they in the city? They're in the city. Okay, so you're the you're the lone wolf in the district, and then I guess Bridge is in the district. Yeah, Bridge and Deep Cove are also in the district. That's wild. That is confusing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I've heard through the grapevine that the district is a little bit more difficult to deal with than the city. Yeah, there was, I think the city is really stoked on the, just the new community of younger people and growing it that way and allowing businesses to come in because that's what brings new people in. And the district, they're more focused on development, uh, larger developments. Um, and yeah, we just had one council member that I don't think was super stoked on a brewery yeah, and that made it really difficult for us. And yeah, it's, I don't think a lot of people also stay in that job for as much because we actually had, like you would be dealing with somebody for a couple months and then they'd be out and then you have to start all over with, again, with somebody else. And then that takes, you know, days and days just to get one email yeah. Send back to you. So, yeah. it, no, it's it's. I know we went. It wasn't through, easy. We went through that with a bit with Harold Street in Victoria. Like it, everything was going so smooth, and then, um, yeah, things just get hung up. In I know everybody likes to say red tape, but really it's just communication. The time between communication, and um, and yeah, you can take can take one counselor or the mayor to just raise an issue, and then all of a sudden that thing flies. Like somebody had said, I was watching the. I remember watching the public consultation um, for our occupancy increase at Herald Street. And we were asking for quite a bit. Like we were asking for 170 occupant load. And, um, but the, the area had been zoned for a, a brewery like Herald Street, which is just taste room focused, um, high retail, uh, low, in, low light industrial. So rather than most, most places like Steel and Oaks, one of them, the city likes to protect light industrial. So we're only allowed 30% of our overall building's floor space is allowed to be a retail component and 70% has to be manufacturing. And, um, unless we go through a a bylaw amendment and we make a special case. Um, but in Victoria, the area that Herald street's in, they switch that where it's basically 70% is needs to be retail and only 30% light industrial because they're trying to save some light industrial but they recognize that most new light industrial are like small manufacturers, like people making surfboards and, and, you know, niche bikes and stuff that need high retail opportunity to survive. And, um, so everything was right. But I remember one counselor was like, well, what if they open a night? What what if they have a nightclub? What if they move all the tables around and people just dance and it's a nightclub at night? And I'm just, and meanwhile, like my partners in Herald street that run it, I mean, uh, Mike and Lee might kill me, but I, I'm, I mean, they look like they're in their 40s, but I'm pretty confident they're in their 60s. And <laughs> and so, like, they're not starting a nightclub. But all of a sudden, you could see the tone in the room change. Like, holy crap, what if these guys do start having these massive parties? And um, it only takes one to kind of mess it up for you a little bit, you know? Right. Now, they, they did approve it, but um, but still, it makes you nervous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, take me through your day um, because you're still 
you're obviously new, as you mentioned, so you're probably still doing most of everything. What is a, what is a normal, and I know there is no such thing as a normal day, but what is a, a normal day for you? Yeah, it's a lot of running around. <laughs> the staff all know. You always see me, I'm either have my phone in my hand or I'm lifting a keg trying to load it into a Jeep last minute because someone forgot to order on a Friday night. <laughs> so, I mean, get up early, go to the gym, kind of get my emails done for the most part because when I walk in, I got all the, I sit with all the brewers. We have an office and I just, I don't like using it. I like to kind of be there with everybody and, you know, I don't want to have to have them knock on my door if, you know, they want to have a conversation. So we're all kind of sectioned together. And we go over, you know, the stock, you know, what we're brewing next, labels, design, you name it. And um, my brother works for me as well. He's he's a rep for me. Okay, sweet. So, yeah, we um, he sits across from me and we kind of go over what his plan is for the day and where he's headed and struggles he's seen or things he wants to bring up and kind of go through that. And by noon, I'm basically out the door and you know trying to just meet with people and that can continue on until eight nine o'clock some nights and so it's yeah. they're long days and that continues into the weekend too one you know one thing I always I did in the wine industry was I said hey listen if you ever run out of wine on a Saturday Friday night feel free to call me like I don't care I'm, I'll come drop it off so I, I do that with beer as well and I think that kids take advantage of a lot because I'm usually running around with kegs on weekends. Yeah. But you know what? I fucking love it. Like, I just drop off a keg and I'll just go have a beer and shoot the shit with them afterwards. And it's just, yeah, and then that's, that's it. It's just seven Fuck. days a week <laughs> for our, me at this point. And our life is so, would, our life is yeah. so different. I can't imagine, uh, I, I can't imagine being at home on a Saturday and I'm already in my sweatpants and somebody's like, can you bring beer to me? And just being able to look at my wife and being like, Hey, can you just deal with the kids tonight? I'm just, I got to go to this pub. I'm going to drop off some beer and probably have a couple beers there. There that, you know, that would, uh, in the early days, I think that happened enough, but, uh, but now there's no way in hell that's, uh, well, good for you. Seven days a week. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a fun job too. And I mean, I also think like, and I think the pandemic has obviously really shown us. I mean, it's a social, it's a social job, right? And it, uh, that's the fun of it is getting to go mm-hmm. out and meet other people and have a beer with them and, and, and shoot the shit. So, um, is, is, now is it your little brother or big brother? Little brother. Is it awesome being his boss and bossing him around or were you always his boss, <laughs> bossing around? He calls, he calls me his bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of, it's kind of fun. It is fun working with them. Um, you know, we're, we're able to be pretty candid with each other and yeah, tell each other what's, what's going on and, well, there's a trust it's, it's there, right? Fine. You know, like you don't have to build trust because it already exists, right? So you know that exactly. he's going to tell you exactly what he thinks and not try and hide anything from you. So no, that's that's great. I, I hired a bunch of people that I went to high school with. and But for that kind of the same reason, I'm, I'm an only child. I don't have any siblings. and um, But in the early days when I was basically kind of except for the gym part i basically lived your life for a little bit um and uh (laughs) and um i needed people that i could trust immediately and so i would just hire people that i knew from high school that were looking for a change and it seemed to work out um but uh so i guess my my brothers and sisters from school in a sense but um yeah yeah so okay so you're running around all the time um um, my assumption is is the goal is to run around less and less as time goes on. Um, do you? I read an article somewhere that you have twenty five people already working at Wild Eye already, which is a lot. But my assumption is a lot of those are for front of house and, and kitchen. Um, mm-hmm. Is uh, do you have kind of a growth strategy for people in the near future, or, or is your kind of plan to bootstrap it uh, with yourself and your brother from you know forward facing point of view for for the next little while? Um, yeah, I'd like to grow. Definitely the sales is super important for us. So we'd probably hire another person on when things kind of go back to what they were before. Yeah. Um, we're kind of just keeping it low key right now. Uh, but yeah, a lot of that is front of house kitchen. Um, we've got five people on the brewery side. Um, and that seems to be enough for us right now. But yeah, as things grow, we'd like to definitely do, you know, we're just doing one batch a day. 
Um, yep. But we'll probably ramp it up to two. And then, of course, you're going to need a, a morning crew and a night crew with that. For sure. So we'll, we'll see what happens. What's, the fav- what's your favorite part of, of the day? What's your, what's your favorite task that you get to do? Honestly, just sitting at the bar at the end of the day after, you know, had some meetings and I like to, you know, spread it around and see what everyone's up to and, and just having my beer and, you know, talking to the staff, asking them what, you know, what they think, what they see in the market. And it's, it's always been kind of the best part for me, for sure. What's something that you didn't think you'd have to deal with that you have to deal with? Oh, geez. Oh, man. There's so many things. <laughs> it's, I don't know. Like, there, I don't even know what there would be to say. There's like, it's completely different from the wine industry. Just the people are different and what they expect. And how so? I didn't, I didn't think people would want so much free shit. <laughs> yeah, that's a weird one, right? Is that not <laughs> so something in the, really interesting? Is that not something in the wine industry? In industry, they don't expect a bunch of free shit. I mean, a little bit, but not as much. Like you're not giving away wine glasses that say J Lore on it. It's, yeah, you know, there's a lot of that that I didn't really factor in that I would, you know, and t-shirts and things like we didn't we didn't give any of that away. It was mostly our time. Yeah, but it's it's the swag that everyone wants. It's kind of interesting. Well, it's I think it's just I mean it's it's a Molson uh, Labatt's kind of thing i i think right like they you know it's it's i think it goes back to that attitude that you know back in the day like beer was like a lowbrow thing and so you know they would do these big giveaways at pubs and and restaurants to get people to drink more beer and you know you'd get you buy your your 24 case of molson canadian you get a t-shirt in it it was just like this weird uh, yeah it was just it was it was weird it was like they needed to encourage you to buy well, they wanted you to buy their Molson Canadian over Labatt. So they thought, well, the beer tastes the fucking same. So maybe we'll throw a t-shirt in and they'll buy this one instead, I guess. But it's, yeah. it's, it's weird. Cause I, I, we have a pretty, I mean, over the years, um, we're pretty strict now. Like we don't, I don't do coasters. I don't do, we used to, we were spending like $6,000 in coasters a, like a year and they're expensive, hey? They I didn't are. realize how expensive coasters are. They're expensive and they're like and they're single use too, right? Like they uh-huh. they just and half the time I'd order a beer and it would come on someone else's coaster anyways. And and also our 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 sales reps and and um and I'd say this if they were in front of me because they know it's true. They'd use it as a crutch to to get in to go into a place and talk to somebody. It it would be like, "Oh, let's grab a couple packs of coasters." So I can be like, "Hey, I'm just dropping up some coasters." and and use it as an intro to a conversation and um i'm like it's beer that you don't need to do that you're not selling something that people don't want um people want what you have it's just um so you don't need that crutch to get in but yeah it's 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 wild what people the amount of stuff that people want um and it adds up quick so we've been trying to and especially tap handles too like a tap handle i didn't realize was going to be as expensive as it is to manufacture and then trying to get those things back um you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, we do give a lot of way, a lot of free shit. Mm-hmm. Do you think it yeah, helps? Nice if we didn't have to do as much as that, but do you think it, do you think it, the industry now, do you think it helps? Like, do you think when somebody drinks a beer at, at a, at a restaurant in a wild eye glass that they make a bigger connection than they would just drinking the beer anyways? I mean, the only thing I see with that is it's in, more Instagrammable when Fair enough, yeah. there's that on there. So I see on the Instagram, you know, they're at tap and barrel or wherever with the wild eye glass and it's i guess that looks cool and there's that more many more people seeing it depending on how many followers they have i guess but it i guess there is a bit of benefit in that regard did you when you were building out your um tasting room did you take instagram into into account like in your mind where you're like okay what wall are people going to take a photo of or where how can i make it so that people take photos in here not really. I'm really bad at social media. No, I'm, I'm <laughs> one thing I, I delegate. Um, but we obviously wanted to make the place look cool and unique. We didn't want it to look like a cookie cutter brewery. Yeah. And I think there's some, yeah, there's some cool areas where people can hang out. But I mean, it's all, all about the beer at the end of the day. And I think that's what people take the most photos of, not really the the whole look of the place. No, I, I no, I agree. And I, I, 
the only reason I brought it up is because I wish that we had made like I wanted to make our place feel like somebody's living room a little bit where it's like it was super mm-hmm. cozy and not I wanted it to look good but sort of homemade in a sense I just didn't want it to feel pretentious and but I right. still wanted it to look clean and nice like there was something it was considered but it was like considered but it was made by your buddy who's good at carpentry and um but the one thing I've noticed with our our place and when we Steel and Oak started there was Instagram but we were really early adopters to Instagram it wasn't a big thing yet um, but there isn't really any specific area at our brewery that you take a photo of and the lighting is super yellow inside. It's like kind of, I wanted to feel like more like candlelight. So the photos all end up kind of sucking. So anytime I see somebody taking a photo of our beer and putting it on Instagram, I'm like, it doesn't look as good as it should. And, um, so I wonder how many breweries nowadays kind of take that into consideration. I know Josh at Fieldhouse for sure does. It's like, oh, yeah. what are you going to take a photo of? Um, and I think if I did it again, I would definitely take it into consideration. Like, what are people going to post on Instagram? Instagram is such a fucking silly thing that we all do. Oh, it's ridiculous. This podcast, we're recording on January 21st. And this morning, so this is and Instagram and social media in general has always been something that like we've taken seriously because we really believe in it. And it's a good way to talk to our customers. Um, but it's something that I have the most difficult time making a call on like what's going to be what are people going to like and what what aren't they going to like and so there's this like bernie sanders meme going around because i don't know if you saw it and so this morning i i get up early um and i don't get up early to, to go to the gym like you do i i <laughs> i'm watching cartoons uh with with my two kids because they get up early otherwise i would sleep in for sure and I'm like scrolling through Instagram because I'm I don't go on it a ton. I'm like, oh, there's all these rad Bernie Sanders memes. I bet you I could put Photoshop Bernie Sanders onto our patio and put it up this morning. And so I ripped it together in ten minutes, and it's our most liked post of all time already. Oh my gosh! And it's That's o- yeah, and it's only you know one thirty on on, and I posted up earlier this morning. So yeah, I'm like, great. we put all this effort into taking all these cool photos and going out into the city, and people just want a Bernie Sanders meme that I photo that I, <laughs> that I basically. Like the humor. Yeah, that I Photoshop together, right? They, I think they just want something they can they can feel, right? Like that's something that you know is relevant to how they feel in that that day. So, um, okay, so you did not take Instagram into account. That's all good. You took branding yeah. into account though, because I noticed the brand it looks pretty tight. Was that something that you obviously probably had a pretty big hand in? Um, did you use an agency, or do you have a friend that is just a good designer? Or how did that? Uh, I guess how did the name Wild Eye and then the brand behind it kind of come about? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's that's such a funny topic because, you know, what, you know, you feel like you should say to customers and what it actually means are com- probably completely different things to, yeah. for most breweries. Um, but I mean, it's, we wanted to name it Wild something or other. I mean, there's any other brewery listening, they, they will know, like, everything is taken. And it took me like two years to figure out the name. And I knew we didn't start off with wild ferment beers, but I knew that's something we wanted to grow into. Um, so I thought that would be kind of fun in the name. And then at the end of the day, I was so fed up with looking at shit. And I was like, let's just create a name. So we combined wild and I, to, and it's a name that's not in the dictionary. And we kind of played on that. And we found, there was, we went through a couple of graphic designers. It was definitely something very serious for me. It's, it's your brand. It's what everyone knows you for. So I was really interested in um, Hired Guns. You know, they've yep. done a lot of worries. They did Driftwood and Backcountry, a few others. And um, I liked their graphic designer, Troy. He was, he was fantastic. And um, they, they created this called a Serif. And it's a wild mystical angelic creature um and we thought that would look really cool in a can and stand out and be memorable um so we yeah went went ahead with that one and kind of been fun playing around with that on apparel and all that kind of stuff sweet yeah it looks really tight and it um like it definitely stands out and looks different than what else is out there so um no kudos to you guys and for for the taste room itself um, I know there's lots of kind of cool wood angles and everything. Did you guys get a proper architectural and design firm to do the taste room out as well? Or Yeah, we worked uh, pretty closely with them um, and we wanted it to look like something that would fit into North Shore. 
and the back bar if you looked on its side it, it looks like um a bike jump like you oh, see sweet. out in the woods um so because we knew we were gonna hopefully get a lot of the biking crowds because there's a basically a trail that just goes directly down a wild eye so we wanted to play on that kind of thing and have some fun with it cool okay i'm gonna hit uh save and then we're gonna talk about uh life during the pandemic beer life is brought to you by vessel packaging company uh vessel uh we deal with them all the time to package our beer at steel and oak they're rad to deal with we've dealt with them since uh, they destroyed the bomber market for us back in 2015 and they do all things uh can related so your cans, your lids, they can do standard sizes uh, like your 473s and your 355s, but they also have those cool, sleek and slim looking cans um, that uh, Provincial Spirits does and a few others. Um, they got all liners for all beverages. So if you're listening and you're not uh, in the beer industry, but you are in a beverage industry, they can hook you up as well. They do printed cans for you big guys out there that have lots of volume. Uh, they do sleeves for people like us that are trying to save some money while looking good. And they also do uh, pressure-sensitive labels. So if you don't have a labeler, they'll label the cans for you. And of course, they have their mobile filling service, which I think most people know them for. So they'll come out, set you up, check your dissolved oxygen, can your beer, check it again to make sure everything's gravy, and they pack everything up and are on their way. It's super slick, uh, which is why we continue to use them. It's easy. Uh, it's, it's nice. It's professional. Um, they also do coast to coast coverage in Canada. They got locations across the country. They service all provinces and territories. Now, if you're listening and you're like, I'm too big or I'm too small for vessel, that's not the truth. Uh, they do thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions, or hundreds of millions of cans each year for different breweries out there. So no matter what your volume vessel can definitely hook you up. And even if you're not in beer, they do cider, wine, water, RTDs, CBD, anything you need in a can. Vessel are your good folks to do that for you. So check them out, vesselpackaging.com. Okay, so one of the things I wanted to ask is normally when I have uh, a guest on the show, I do do some research, even though it probably sounds to people like I don't. Um, but I do obviously look you up on the internet and see what else is out there. Um, one of the things I notice is that you actually have quite a bit of content on you and the brewery um, uh, more than most, to be honest, uh, at least most people that were started a brewery around the same time as you, um, was that, did you have a, a PR company that was out there working for you? Did you just kind of put it out there? Did you find that, you know, newspapers and, you know, brewing publications or, or whoever online, you know, outlets approached you? Um, and if it was the latter and, and you just found that you were getting reached out to quite a bit, um, do you think there's any you know specific reason for that? It's just was interesting to me that that there was a lot more content on you than some of the other guests that I've had that that opened up around the same time. Um, there was definitely no budget for a PR company where we don't know, have that. You two don't have years that. into a build, and there was no working capital. So yeah. basically, I didn't spend a dollar on any marketing. Mark Instagram was my only option. Yeah. Um, but I just reached out. I was like, I mean, hell, what am I going to lose? So, um a family friend of ours he was in the industry and helped me kind of come up with a little package and yeah I just sent it out to everybody and I mean I think there's there's not a lot of females in the industry and I think that was definitely something that was um interesting to them fair enough um so yeah that was basically all all it took it was just a, a quick email here and there yeah I think people don't and I always if I talk to other breweries and that are getting close, like I always recommend putting together some sort of photo package with a bit of a, a blurb because most publications of any sort are always looking for cool, interesting stories and beer sells and they want it as easy as possible because they've got a lot on the go. So if you can like put it in front of them um, and, and make it basically just as easy as copy and paste, a lot of them will do it. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. I remember, um, when we were getting close to opening, I, I put, um, my family's background is in, is in publishing. And, um, so my, my mom comes from the magazine world and, and she's like, yeah, you got to just put a package together and send it to everybody. And I remember sending this photo to the, to the province. Um, and 
sure enough, it ended up being there on the front page just because I'd kind of, and I mean, they're a big publication, but I put the work in and made it easy for them. Right. And I think, I think a lot of, a lot of, probably a lot of businesses in general rely so heavily on social because they think it's the only way to go that they ignore, um, a little bit more of the traditional media, which still gets a lot of attention. Right. And, um, and you can do it with no budget. I know, I know a few of the newer breweries have, do put a little bit of money into PR in order to get, I guess a little bit more publicity upon opening, but we've never, we've never, I can't even, we've barely spent any money, I think on, on marketing and advertising over the years and just, you know, obviously rely heavily on social. You'd also mentioned that there might be a little bit more attention because you are a woman in a very still uh, fairly male dominated industry. Um, Do you like being able to be that spokesperson for for women in the industry or is it something that um that just kind of comes with the territory i i've i've had lots of i try to make a very concerted effort to have um, women on the program um because it is a very male dominated industry and people listen to a 37 year old white guy host this thing every time so they definitely don't need to hear from another 37 year old white guy and um so um so i mean i would say i'm the spokesperson but there's like there's a lot of amazing women in this industry that have been doing it a lot longer than I have. But, um, I think every voice is important and to make sure that, you know, not to be worried that you're not going to get the job because a male is, you know, also up for the role. And I just want to keep that, you know, top of mind. And, you know, we make a serious effort to make sure that that's something we do at wild eye where, you know, women have just as much of a chance to get the position as, as um, men do. Um, so I'm just going to continue focusing on that for sure. So you're, you're probably only, if I'm doing my math right, just over a year old and then this pandemic hits. Can you take me through kind of the, the day or two after, you know, we all got the public health order to shut down? Um, what process did you go through in your mind? What did you tell your people? And then how did you adjust um, after you were able to kind of process what was happening? Yeah, man, that was a that was a tough week. Definitely mentally was really, really tough for me. I mean, I had put so much work into the place and, you know, not even being a year old at the time, you're you know, you're every dollar you earn it's you're spending it right away. And I just knew there was nothing no no funds available to keep this thing going. And, you know, the government hadn't stepped in yet. There was just so many unknowns, it's just that we had to shut down. Um, so it definitely really affected me and we've been through a lot that you know, a lot of people didn't know, like we, we bought our tanks from Newland oh, shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> and you know, they went into receivership and we almost lost everything already. And then, and then this was happening again. It felt like, so holy fuck. Hold on a second. Your, yeah. your head brewer, our head brewer, Eric, I think told your head brewer, that Newlands was in receivership. Oh, was he the one when he went to Everything Wine? Yes, yes. Until oh, fuck. Mike? I didn't know. I didn't put that together until now. But yeah, he was, Eric was at Everything Wine. And yeah, that's right. And he, what was your head brewer's name? Mike. Mike. And he ran into Mike, I guess. And and Mike had mentioned that they were getting tanks from Newlands. And it was that morning that we'd gotten the email that they were going into receivership. That's fucking crazy. So did you, sorry, did mm-hmm. you get, you did get the tanks though? What's that? You did get, end up getting the tanks. Okay. Oh, barely. I did a lot of fighting to get those tanks. They were going to put them up for auction and we had already purchased. We only owed them the last amount because, you know, you pay in installments. Yeah. Um, and they were actually calling me the day before trying to get the last payment. And I was like, hey, hold on, guys. Like, I'm supposed to come in, check it out first. And they're supposed to do the test, like the, um, the water test or whatever down there. Yeah. And they, like, they do a brew or something like that. And then... Um, I was like, well, I'm going to go check it out first. And they were very aggressive on the phone. I thought it was really weird. I'm like, okay, well, like I actually didn't even have all the money in the bank account. I was waiting on a couple of things to come through. And I was like, that was the, probably the only reason I didn't give them that last amount of money, which is thank God. Um, but yeah, I remember sitting in my, I was driving home that day. Mike calls me. He's like, Hey, like, he's like, yeah, I just, I just heard that, um, this is happening. They've gone into receivership. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, there's no chance. They just called me like today. And 
And um, sure enough, the next morning, I'm like, I wake up and I'm like, no, I'm just going to give them a call. I'm going to give the rep a call. Doesn't answer. I call them out east. No one's answering. What the hell is going on? I couldn't get a hold of a single person. And it wasn't, it was for a week where I, nobody answered their phones. And then I finally got a hold of just one of the manufacturers, just one of the guys that worked there through somebody. And he said, yeah, everybody left. They took everything because they're obviously mad. Things were getting stolen out the building. Wow. And yeah, um, I finally got a hold of the receiving company and they said, yep, nope, uh, we own it. It's going up for auction. So maybe you want to bid on it. Like, no, wow. no, no, no. <laughs> that was not happening. So there was a lot of negotiating to try and get it back. And at the end, um, they had told us it was a completed project and there were still um, 400 hours left on it. Wow. So, yeah, um, wow. we had to pay a pretty penny to get it out of there. And then luckily, um, custom breweries in um, Chilliwack were just starting up and they took on a lot of the guys that were let go. Um so they were already working on our project. So they took it over and completed it. But holy shit, man, it cost a lot of money. <laughs> I bet. That's fucking crazy. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, so that happens. And then obviously there's, I guess there's a, a quick time to breathe and be like, okay, we're, we're set up, we're going. And then, um, and then the, this, the pandemic hits. Then that hits. Yep. Um, so unfortunately, yeah, we had to lay everybody off. Um, I stuck around myself and just worked off sales every single day and night um, to try and get that going. Yeah. And, and then it wasn't until, I guess, we, I think it was April, March. When was it? When did it happen? March? Yeah, it was March. Um, yeah, it was March. Mid-March. Yeah, March. And then by April, um, Mike came back and he started brewing a bit because they're starting to run out of cans. And we were kind of like, all right, we have all these kegs, let's get them back into tank and then into cans. Um, so we started doing that and then slowly the staff, everyone came back and it, yeah, when we pivoted fast, I mean, like I said earlier, like keg sales were definitely a focus for us and we had to start working on getting into more liquor stores and yeah. And that sort of thing. Did you, uh, did you do home delivery or were you just, uh, trying to push everybody to the room to pick up off sales? No, we did delivery as yeah. well. Did you, um, did you but find, we incentivized pickup because, of course, there's a cost yeah. driving around. Did you everywhere. find? Do you find that there was a decent home delivery uptick for for a while in in North Van? Oh yeah, yeah. So I did that myself as well. I worked the bar um, selling off sales, and then there, there's gosh, days. I mean, I thought it was pretty decent. There'd be about fifty orders in a day. Yeah. Um, we just focused on the North Shore. Yeah. So I'd be delivering until like <laughs> nine o'clock some night, making sure everyone got their beer. Yeah. The, you know, it's, it was like, I was, I've been, I was thinking about it this morning a little bit, um, just because it does, it feels like it's gone by so fast, but at the same time, it feels like it's been forever. Um, mm-hmm. but just those first couple of weeks, um, trying to really like to go back and think of the steps that actually happened, right? Like it, it, uh, cause you pivot so fast just cause you're, desperate to survive and um so you're just making calls on the fly basically and uh hoping that everything works out in the end and i can't even remember like how fast like when did we start doing home delivery when did we start laying people off like i i i remember i remember the day we closed and then i remember having i remember not knowing like if we were gonna have to lay people off like what was happening how serious was the pandemic how long we're gonna be shut down for and I remember the first week of home delivery wasn't that good. And I was like, oh shit. And then the second week was just absolute bonkers because I guess people understood that, that this was going to be what we were going to be doing now. And, uh, and then I remember creating a spreadsheet, uh, a layoff spreadsheet, which was the most depressing thing I think I've ever done of like, yeah. of like slowly winding down um, the production team. Cause we had a few brews left that we needed to do. We were going to put beer in tank just in case we needed it, but we weren't going to package it. And, um, and just like, but just the openness with everybody, like, you know, I'd have, I'd have staff come up and just be like, okay, so when am I, when am I getting laid off? Like, you know, when, when can I apply for, for, um, you know, the, the, uh, the CERB and, um, 
and just the fact that everybody was okay with it. Like it was mm-hmm. like this understanding that like it wasn't anybody's fault that we just have to do it. And, and I remember moving, we have, we're not as fancy as you. We don't have an office. Um, but, um, <laughs> but I, <laughs> I'm doing this right now in our lab, uh, and which is basically a glorified box uh, with a sink in it. And, um, but, uh, but I, we moved everything down to the taste room, just did off sales. And that was like off sales slash office. And it ended up just being really kind of the original four people that helped at the very beginning when Steel Oak started, um, just kind of thrown it all together. Like we'd obviously had quite a big, um, um, liquor store clientele. So we, mm-hmm. we did need a couple people to be able to still manage that. So it didn't have to do a wholesale layoff of everybody, but, um, but yeah, fuck it was bad, but yeah. And I, I, lots of tequila involved. Or... <laughs> oh, I remember having, we'd have back when you wanted to have zoom calls and talk to other people. Um, having like zoom check-ins with some, some other brewery friends and just like not even drinking beer, just having like fucking whiskey and just mm-hmm. going for it. And, um, just how depressing and, and, and sad it was just the unknown. But then I think like we kind of went back into the summer and you guys probably, did you have a patio already or did you get a patio because of COVID? Um, we actually, uh, had the application in for a patio. Okay. So we had a plan. Um, but then when they said just open a patio, we just went for it right away. Yeah. And I, I, like, I don't think I realized how important a patio is for our industry until we had that fucking patio, right? Like it just, it made a world of a difference for the summertime. And uh, do you find, I know you got those huge ass, uh, wedding tents now basically (laughs) over top of it. Do you find our people still coming out and hanging outside and stuff? Oh yeah. Yeah. we have the heaters go on and there's yeah. quite a lot of people that are just not comfortable being inside. No. Yeah. Um, so we have had people thank us for actually even thank us for not enclosing them. Um, yeah. Because it's basically like another in indoor area if you enclose the whole thing. So. Oh, we've, I've seen the, I've seen the memes on Instagram about like, you know, we can't go inside, but we can go inside if inside <laughs> is outside and like just, yeah, these, these tents that are basically just, yeah, they're <laughs> they're inside but outside. We didn't we didn't like we didn't enclose ours either. Um we didn't put actually we don't really even have a, a tent just because we only have five spots out there and the amount of money it would have cost to put, you know, a, a engineer a covering as well because um our um patio is technically on city property uh cuz it's a parklet. So which wow. opens up a whole other can of worms on on um when you want to do something to it. Um, but yeah, we notice a huge influx when the weather's nice. People definitely, people don't want to sit inside. They do want to be outside and, uh, hopefully they just let us all just, they grandfathered in and let us all keep them. It's going to be really hard to take them away from, from us. I think. I don't think they're going to be able to, I, I, I cannot imagine, especially the disarray that the hospitality and restaurant industry is going to be in, um, like they they're going to need this to survive or at least try and make a comeback. And so I, I can't imagine the province would have enough guts to, to just be like, Oh, these patios that seem to work really well and people enjoyed them and no one complained about parking and everything's okay. Yeah. You, you can't have them anymore. So yeah. Yeah. yeah for us, so. it was the washrooms. They were going to make us put two more in for 20 seats. Like yeah. <laughs> that's, I know it's, it's, so I have a, I have a long list of, I think I'm calling it when Jordan wants to retire and, and doesn't need to make friends anymore list. And just, and on that list is this washroom requirement. Um, it's something that because North van and I'm sure the district and the city follow the BC bylaw code, which is this, this mathematical equation for how many people need to pee at one given time and how many washrooms you need. But for whatever reason, if you go to Vancouver, you don't need to pee as much. And so you can have less washrooms there. Um, and, and Vancouver saw it and they changed, they have their own bylaw code that is less washrooms per people in an establishment because my assumption is they recognize that it's costly to put in washrooms. And if you want to promote, you know, restaurants opening up, especially in older locations that, you know, have old plumbing where it's very costly, um, you know, that by making people put in a bunch of extra plumbing is going to, you know, could make or break a project. Right. And, um, so they, they didn't make you put them in though. You got, you got away with that. 
Well, they will. That's yeah. still part of the overall the plan. Thing is we stopped the process because we got the patio. Yeah. Um, except you just have to, our occupancy is the same. So we were going to go from a hundred to 120 mm-hmm. if we added those washrooms. Yeah. How many but washrooms do you have to have for that? What's that? How many washrooms do you have to have? Uh, five. Fuck. Yeah. That's crazy. Who knew that I'd have a mm-hmm. podcast where we talk about how many washrooms you need? That's incredible. <laughs> no, this is good. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, yeah, it's, it's wild. It's, it's just, um, I remember being, uh, in, in New York a, a couple years ago and it was like in the a time at Steel and Oak where we were adding another washroom in order to increase our occupant load. So I was super hyper aware with, with washroom requirements in other places and there was no washroom requirements, but everybody seemed to make it work in New York. Like, you know, there was, sometimes there was a lineup to use the bathroom, but it was okay. And, and I just, I, it's one of those things that's definitely when I'm going out, I'm going out at city council, just talking about how ridiculous it is that, that this is a requirement and, uh, that you're going to kill the opportunity for new hospitality industry to open up in old heritage buildings in an old city like New Westminster, um, by, by putting these washroom limitations on. Now I've just said it. So I probably just, maybe I'll just retire (laughs) tomorrow then. Um, it's absolutely ridiculous. Do you find that the clientele you got now feels like the same folks that you grew up with in the North Shore? Or do you think it's a different type of person that's now um, living there, coming to hang out at Wild Eye? Oh, interesting question. Yeah, I think it's, they're just all grown up now, it seems. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot, there's, I think we get a lot of different age groups at our place because you know we we get the young crowd in um because we got the funky sours going we had four going at one point and then we have that logger that you know the average guy comes in he just wants to crush a pint and go home and i think it's it's kind of cool that we get kind of a mix of different type of people coming in do you find that you're the fucking coolest with all your friends because you own a brewery now no, not at all. No, oh, not my you, friends are in the industry. So. Oh, you have cooler friends than <laughs> I am. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your friends are much cooler than mine are. Then that's uh, that's <laughs> funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you were going to do it again, what would you do differently this time? Oh, jeez, everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think next time. I mean, I'd like to continue growing um, brands in the company, and I mean, having more experience now just makes a huge difference just knowing what to expect I was super green going into it and I had to ask everyone a question for everything and at the beginning I you know was a little self-conscious about it um you know because of my age and you know I was like I don't I should probably know this instead of asking and yeah I think next time out I wouldn't worry about that and people are happy to help and I would just just keep asking questions so they don't mess it up <laughs> Fair enough. It was, did you, did you ask a lot of, I mean, I guess the North shore industry is, is still pretty new too, but did you, do you find that you asked questions from some of the other North shore breweries or, um, was it, was it other more established, I guess, crew? I mean, bridge, I guess would have been around for a while, but, um, but did you find that you would, you've got a pretty good crew over there in, in North van, you guys help each other out or do you find yourself going to other burbs to ask for advice or to, to collaborate? Yeah, I mean, uh, Darren and I were opening at the same time, so that was that was really nice. Um, but just being in different municipalities um, comes with its own things, and you know, one issue that I was having would be completely different to them up the road. Yeah. Um, so I mean, yeah, I mean, just asking everybody it just doesn't doesn't hurt, right? There's just people that have been in it for a long time, and they know they've been through it all. So, what would you happy s- to help. what would you say is the best thing about this industry? Just I like it's really cool that people are all just so friendly and you know there is obviously that a little bit of competition involved but at the end of the day at the end of you know when we did trade shows everyone is just stoked to be together and you know shooting the shit after after a show and I think that's just so fun because there's not a lot of industries that are like that and that's kind of what drew me to that side of the, the beer industry for sure. Yeah, it is. It is a surprisingly friendly industry, which is which is great. And I guess I mean it's hard to get. It's hard to not be friendly when everybody's got a couple beers in them too, right? So, exactly. 
Um, I always say we could be selling toner cartridges. That could be oh, nothing against toner cartridges. But I, I used to sell on. I used to. Fun. I used to sell on hold messages. Like there you go. Yeah, yeah. So anytime one of my reps complains about selling beer, I'm like, Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Come on. And uh, just before I, I let you go, if you had advice for somebody that's listening that is in the midst of opening a brewery or is thinking about opening one, what would that advice be? I mean, just don't give up. I mean, there's, I just, I hear a lot of people that are, you know, thinking about it and just not actually pulling the trigger and, you know, it's just missed opportunities. And, you know, I could have done that a million times and people told me to, you know, give up a lot of people in the district and whatever. They said, this project's way too daunting and you should stop. And I just tell them, forget it. And I'm going to keep going. And I think that's just put your head down. And like I said, ask lots of questions and I mean, and work hard because it'll pay off in the end. Awesome. Well, thanks uh, to Samantha Lindemann. Fuck. How is how am I having such a tough time saying that? Thanks to Samantha Lindemann. That's better, isn't it? I nailed it that time, right? There you go. Perfect. Okay. From Wild Eye Brewing in North Vancouver uh, for being on Beer Life. Yeah.